I'm Jeff Gibson. And I'm Shanna Paxton. And we are the, the Movie, Movie Lovers. Lovers. Welcome. Hello. To the official podcast of the Gibson Review. In each episode, we go over our weekend review, talking about movies we have seen recently. Then we move on to our main event, which is either a topic of discussion or a main feature review. Then we finish up with film faves. Our respective lists of our 12 favorite movies around a particular topic, often marching back through time. This episode, our main event is looking at the year so far. We did this last year, talked about what the year has been like so far, and our picks for the worst and the best of the year so far. Then, Film Phase returns with our favorite movies from the year... 1998. There you go. Alright, so let's get into it with The Week in Review. Shanna... I have not been able to see anything on my own, but you snuck in a movie. Do you want to tell us a little bit about it? Yes, I snuck in a movie, and I also snuck in a miniseries. So I got to watch The Tale, which stars Laura Dern and is available on HBO. And I'll read the description for you all. Jennifer has it all. With a loving boyfriend and a great career as a journalist and professor. But when her mother discovers a story, the tale, that Jennifer wrote when she was 13, detailing a special relationship Jennifer had with two adult coaches, Jennifer returns to Carolina to investigate. That's a very long synopsis. Mm, Actually, it really is. Um, And I shortened it to... This movie has a wonderful way of remembering the past specifically remembering a traumatic event and they do this through their technique of editing how they put everything together she begins to read her story that she wrote when she was 13 and we go along with it in her present time and she remembers her life as if she was 16 and she finds out that no she was actually 13 so when we are hearing the story read by laura dern and seeing it unfold as we usually do with movies we see her as the 16 year old Mm. but then she meets up with a friend and the friend says but you were so small and that's when she realizes she had the wrong year and age in her mind is that a spoiler no because it happens in the first like 10 minutes? 15, oh, wow. 15 minutes? Okay. Somewhere in that short period. She has a very fuzzy memory. Well, you would if you had a traumatic event. Um, okay. And you were trying to remember the age. And so what the movie does is, this gets pointed out to her. She goes to her mother's house, finds a photo of when she was 15, 16, and she's like, oh, this is me during that, that time. And her mother says, no, you were 13. This is you. Mm. And the movie then like rewinds and then does everything all over again and she's much smaller and younger. That was a really interesting way to show how, you know, sometimes you're protecting yourself from a traumatic memory and you have to kind of piece everything together. And the, 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 the movie continues to do more of that and it's very effective. And you do see sex with a minor, but they explain at the end with a caption, that it was an adult body double. So I just want oh, people to know that. That's very interesting. 
Yeah, I don't know how they did that. But, you know, it's so uncomfortable to watch that you don't really watch it. I highly recommend this movie because it shows a traumatic memory being unfolded and that theme very well. But it also shows what it's like for a parent to discover what happened to their daughter. And that happens Mm. in the first 15 minutes of the film. And just a little bit. They don't run with the mother's emotions, Mm -hmm. but they just show you a little bit. And they also show you how there were these assumptions, like, I thought you knew. And that was very interesting. If anyone's ever had this unfold in their life before, they'll be able to fully relate to this film. Well, it sounds like a fascinating film. Where is that? Where can someone find it? As I said, HBO. It is an HBO film. Okay, mm-hmm. excellent. Yes. And I forgot, you you reminded me, you did get to see a new miniseries. Uh, what was that? That was Picnic at Hanging Rock, the miniseries that Amazon has done. Several episodes ago, I watched the film and talked about that. but The original like 60s or 70s film yeah. you're talking about? Yeah, yeah. And you seem to, if I remember correctly, you seem to really enjoy that, right? It was a huge mystery, and it was a fairly long film, and I need to do some more investigation. It may be based on a book, mm-hmm. but there's just, there's so much that happens, and they try to shove it in, like, a two-hour film. Yeah. And when you watch the miniseries, you're getting, like, an hour, hour and a half an episode, something like that. And you've got about six or seven episodes. Oh, wow. So you really get to explore more of it. And it gets to unfold a little, not slower, but... And more not, gradual. Like, more gradual. It's yeah. it's not such a steep, like, no. rush of events. Sure. And the cinematography is just stunning and... This is a film that is kind of hallucinogenic at times, and they mm. really did such wonderful work with that theme, playing with the different ways of doing lighting, of blurring, so really like practical things most of the time, uh-huh. with just a little bit of you know lighting tricks. Okay. So that was really fascinating. That happens in the early 1900s. Miranda attends a girls' boarding school in Australia, One Valentine's Day, the school's typically strict headmistress treats the girls to a picnic field trip to an unusual but scenic volcanic formation called Hanging Rock. Now, despite all the rules of the girls not being allowed to go onto the rock, four girls and one teacher end up on the rock. And it's a huge mystery because girls go missing, the teacher goes missing, and it gets very interesting at the end. I highly recommend it. It's got... The woman from Game of Thrones. Natalie Dormer is yes. the, the name, the known name in it. I don't know if there's any other stars in it. I don't know about that, but every single person was on their A-game with their performance. Everybody was portraying their character very well and got little ticks, you know, being shown very well. Um, sometimes they're obvious and sometimes they're not. It helps if you've seen the movie before. Uh I think it's very good to start with the movie and then move to the TV show. It's like a treat. It's like an upgrade. So sometimes it's a little unfair to compare a series versus a movie for the same reasons that you just illustrated about how a series can have inherently more time to develop a story or its characters. But I will frame my question in this way. You said that the, the miniseries is very gradual. 
uh, compared to the film. Mm-hmm. Does it drag it out too much? Does it get kind of uh, boring or dry with uh, how long it draws things out and, or how gradual it makes things? Uh, is one a better experience than the other? Oh, so no, the TV show doesn't drag anything out for too long. Um, if anything, if you go in blind and you're watching the TV show first, I guess that's actually better because I'm aware of the movie. So I was like, okay, when are we going to find out about this part? And uh-huh. So sometimes I was a little impatient, but I think that's just who I am. I feel like experience-wise, the show was a better experience. Okay. Were the performances better in the series, you think? I think so, but only because, you know, they have more time. But I guess it's just the movie's so rushed. Gotcha, gotcha. So that's Picnic at Hanging Rock, available on Amazon Prime. And it's F-rated, the film at least, is one of... The film or the miniseries? The film is F-rated. Um, I have to investigate about the miniseries. I'll get back to you. <laughs> okay. So, uh, Shanna, you and I have spent a lot of time this past week or so watching one thing in particular. It was my turn to choose a TV series for us to watch... Uh, The last time I chose something, it was The Stand, which we talked about a couple episodes back. You were not a fan of that. However, this time I chose The X-Files from, of course, 1993. You do seem, however, to be a fan of this. We are currently... Oh, how far away are we? We are like five episodes away from the end of season two. Yes, we're on episode 21. So we've seen... Over a season and a half of this series, what are your thoughts so far, being kind of new to this series, I've never seen it before, what are your impressions of The X-Files so far, now 20 years ago? Sometimes this show is painfully slow, and there was one very important thing that I was not going to wait on, because... Yeah, you spoiled something. For myself, yeah. Mm. Because I decided, okay, you get one. Mm-mm. And this is the one you can pick. Mm-mm. This was the agreement I made with myself without Jeff knowing. Yes. And because I knew I was calling... Do you regret it? No. Because I know that this show is going to... If it keeps at this pace, it's going to feel like forever for me. Mm. But it's like, I've gone too far. I need to carry on. But... I really like Mulder and Scully. I really like their relationship. And how cool is it that it's not like this forced romance all the time? Right. So it's very refreshing. Right. And it's, I bet it was also refreshing to see Scully, a female, a female character of her caliber. So I'm talking about she's smart. Mm-hmm. She's constantly questioning things. She's mm-hmm. logical. But she also has these moments where her her eyes and her belief have to kind of muddy up her logic, so it's really interesting. Hmm. Can you clarify? If that makes sense. Well, even though she has a religion, so, you know, if you're you're very logical, you might not actually practice religion, but she has one, and sometimes, you know, she'll see something that will make her question her highly logical view of the world. Because she's a scientist, let's clarify. Yeah. She's a scientist who's you know, assigned to be with Mulder to debunk 
and report on everything he he does on his cases, right? Well, so. it's, that's really funny too because yeah, she is. She's actually meant to like squash him, essentially. Well, not squash him, but, okay, but it's basically like prove his theories incorrect. And I mean, there's a scientific explanation for all his theories. Uh huh. But he's so patient with her. Yeah. <laughs> like, he knows her purpose, uh-huh. and he's really patient because he is so in his belief of what is happening like he's like okay you'll get there when you get there you can Mm. catch up later which and sometimes she does it's like it's like they're running a race and sometimes she catches up to him and sometimes she falls behind and (laughs) sometimes he falls behind because sometimes there is the logical explanation Mm. and most of the time there isn't though Mm. and that's very interesting we just watched a really interesting episode which I think is my favorite so far, the Carney episode. Called Humbug, yes. Mm-hmm. It is uh, from season two, and it is episode 20. Yes, uh, that the one takes place in a town in, in Florida and actually uh, features real carnival acts. Yes, and I really like that because to me, that's like a logical, this world act that will sort of test your belief. Hmm. But okay. at the end of the day, it always comes back to logic. So okay. it's really nice. There's to, an explanation is what yeah, you're trying to say. It's really nice to merge that for yeah. a change. Yeah. So a couple notes on my end, briefly. This, of course, I, I grew up with X-Files, I should say. I was watching it religiously every Sunday night on Fox at, I think, 9 o'clock growing up. How old were you? Sorry. So I would have been about to turn 13 when oh, it first okay. debuted. It's interesting, you know, I haven't seen most of these episodes since they first aired, even though I, I own the series and such. Uh, it's interesting rewatching it 20 years later. On the one hand, some of the things that you said about Scully is absolutely dead on and is the reason why Gillian uh, Anderson took the role. Mm. On the other, it's also kind of a product of its time to a certain extent because you still have her occasionally being a damsel. You know, she's, she still needs to be saved sometimes. She gets abducted occasionally. Yeah. Right? Even where we're at. And then also, even though you're absolutely right, there isn't this immediate uh, relationship or romance. It still exists in a time when a male-female working couple and TV are expected at some point to get together. Yeah. You know? And the, the difference is in this series, it really takes its time uh, with that. It is not going to jump at a kissing scene even anytime soon. You or know, I think... Longing I think, eyes or right. anything. Yeah, I think the most we have gotten so far is Mulder wiping barbecue sauce off her uh, face. Off her cheek. Well, and that was only because something had happened to her and he was really scared and now she's here. Well, that so. that thing happened a couple episodes back at that point. Yeah, but so, now but, she's with him. Well, at any rate. together. I think you're right. Sometimes the the episodes are hit and miss. I think season two so far oh, has yeah. the most either filler episodes or episodes that are just like not, not great. Well, and what's nice is because is you know the series, so mm-hmm. I can tell you, hey, if this is going to feature X, Y, Z, I'm not watching it. 
Well, that's also trusting I can remember sometimes. And well, and then, well, because what I want to say is because you've watched it, you either remember or you go look online, and it's not a yeah. spoiler for me. Yeah, IMDb's episode guide has been really helpful. This, but also kind of um, a, a nice memory jog too. And it's amazing how many character actors make their appearances in the first couple seasons so far. I love uh, which is kinda that. Cool. Like we've seen Bradley Whitford, we've seen Lance Guest from uh, the last. Starfighter and and several other uh, really quickly. What do you think so far of the continuity episodes, or also known as the mythology episodes? Are you following along and tracking the mythology that it's building? I think sometimes with this show, for me, because it unfolds so slowly, it's a little difficult for me to do. Mm-hmm. I, I'm you know I'm very much my brain is adapted to binge watching. Well. Uh-huh. So it's it's just a different pace for me. But this benefits be- from binge watching, I would say, because you can keep that a little bit more compact and a little or straight in your mind of what's going on with the whole alien storyline. Yeah, I definitely wouldn't want to spread this, and right. I don't want to take a break from it. Right. However, the nightmares are starting to get to me <laughs> a little bit. <laughs> like nightmares. it washes all the subconscious stuff mm. up in my brain, and mm-hmm. it's like, hey, let's show you this tonight. Right. So, right. Uh, really quickly, what are some standout episodes uh, for you from either season one or season two, or even both? So it's definitely the carnival one. Uh-huh. Um, the other one we just watched it as well was when they're on the submarine and they start aging rapidly. Oh, you like that one? Well, because they were kind of... Like, that episode made sense for me to be slow. Okay. Yeah, of course. Right, right, right. And it was just the two of them for a while. Okay. And that was just really interesting. Just, like, Mulder is a really cool guy. He just wants to be in the... I don't know if he wants to, but he is just... He does not mind being in the... Just enjoying the presence of Scully. Oh, okay. And I, th- I think that that is one way to interpret his character, and I think it's really nice and enjoyable to see. Gotcha. I don't know, those, those two are my favorite right now. Gotcha. Uh, like, the final episode of season one, and then, like, the yeah. first three episodes of season two, that was pretty cool. So, uh, to clarify, the final episode of season one was, I believe, called the Erlenmeyer Flask, and the first two were called Little Green Men and The Host. Uh, the Host is one of my favorites of this season that has of course the famous fluke man i i like going back to season one the episodes with tombs is really cool and i didn't remember that they returned to tombs within season one i can't come remember back that so one. quickly that was the guy who can um <gasps> elongate his body and get oh into god he's so spaces. creepy yes exactly he's very creepy i also that was good yeah yeah, uh, the fire, the, the guy who is a pyromaniac who can control fire uh, was really cool. That actually featured someone whose name is escaping me, but he was in Battlestar Galactica as mm. the lawyer guy, and he's been in uh, something, some other things, too, you've seen. Mm. I really like Die Han Diver Litz, which is when they are faced with the devil and a school and a cult. Yeah, Die Han Diver Litz. Thank you. Yeah. The one called Shapes, which is about werewolf in a native american community from season oh, one. Oh yes i did like that really because cool. I, you know on tv we never get to see the native american community sure, so sure and i wanted to say dihanti felitz that was the woman that is you know the main guest star guest star she's in blackish 
So it was yes. really cool seeing her. Yes. And then I think, I don't think there's any other ones I really, really want to uh, note. Sometimes, well, Ice from season one is also really great, where they're in an Alaskan outpost, and it's very much like the thing. John Comfort was the thing. Oh, I like the one when they were in the forest. Which one when they were in the <laughs> forest? <laughs> okay, yeah, that's really funny. <laughs> <laughs> they were in the forest, and the trees are being cut down, and this, like, oh, the one old that's... sap releases yes. bugs. Yes, I cannot remember off the top of my head which episode that was, but it took place in the Pacific Northwest, in the uh, Olympic Peninsula, uh, in fact. Yeah, and that, that even co-starred someone who ended up being pretty well known down the road. I can't remember right now. At any rate, and then Humbug, I think, is a, a nice little turning point, because that's the first episode where you start to see them have a little bit more fun and lighten up a yes, little. Yes, can we yeah. lighten up? Yeah, you, you start to see them play a lot um, over the course of the series. And, of course, I really like most of the continuity episodes that, that we see started establishing, particularly in Season 2. I feel like Season 1 is mostly just establishing something. Something strange is going on with aliens, and Mulder is on to something. And Season 2 is really when we start getting the introduction of Krychek, and Agent Krychek, um, who becomes really important later on, and the the shape-shifting clones, uh, or the shape-shifting bounty hunters, I should say, and the clones we get introduced to, which Shanna, we recently saw some of those episodes. Yeah. At any rate, do you have any other comments about the X-Files before we move on? I just look forward to completing it and then giving my findings then. Excellent. We'll probably check in once we get halfway to the halfway point of the original series. So sometime around uh, season four, uh, which gets really exciting and interesting. But that is The X-Files. I believe it's available to stream somewhere. It keeps hopping around, but we are, of course, watching the DVDs. Next, let's move on to the main event, shall we? Yes, let's do it. All right, so... For this episode, for the main event, we are going to look at the year so far. 2018 so far. We're going to talk about the best films, the worst films. Mm -hmm. We're also going to talk about trends that we're noticing. Yes, yes. So let's dive into some general thoughts about the year so far. Shanna, when I look at uh, what movies we have seen so far this year, which... We should be fair and admit it hasn't been many. We've only seen 13 films that have come out in the past uh, five, six months, right? We're recording this on the 5th of June, okay? So uh, kind of use that as a marker of what's come out. This is before Ocean's 8 has come out and before, what is that movie? Hotel Artemis has come out, right? We've only seen 13 films, but... When I look back at what has come out this year, including the stuff we haven't seen, this isn't a great year so far. What? I feel like last year, there was so much more great stuff that came out by the six-month mark. We had Logan, we had Get Out, we had some things that we would end up seeing later that... I don't know. There's just so many things that were so much better, I feel like, than what we have had this year so far. Now, last year, I will say, like, some of the really top quality stuff was actually in the independent cinemas. 
and we actually missed out on a lot of those movies like we weren't able to see Colossal for a while you know and I don't think you ever even got to see Colossal right not at this stage no and we even squeezed in personal shopper because that was available that just barely became available to watch on Amazon before our episode that that point year and that became our second uh, our pick for the second best movie of the year so far at that point right but this year there's a handful of good movies but there's not a, there's not a lot of great movies and there's not a lot of movies I feel like we have missed out on I, I should speak to that point first uh, movies we have yet to see so far this year that are notable include Paddington 2 Death of Stalin Thoroughbreds, Steven Soderbergh's Unsane, Blockers, which seems to be the uh, other comedy worth seeing this year. Uh, I think we talked about Game Night in the last episode. The Writer, which is one of the independent films that's getting huge critical buzz. RBG, about uh, Ruth Bader Ginsburg, that documentary. First Reform by Paul Schrader. You Were Never Really Here by oh her name is escaping me but that stars Joaquin Phoenix and uh, that's about it so we're looking at just short of 10 movies that we have yet to catch up on but still even then out of those movies I don't know about you Shanna but not very many of them am I really chomping at the bit like oh I really wish I'd seen that movie yet you know certainly not Paddington 2 well, I think that it's also important to note that before we made our lists about the year so far, we hadn't seen Revenge, and then we watched Revenge this weekend. Right, we'll get and to that. What I'm trying to say is, like, I didn't even know that that one was around. Uh-huh. It wasn't on in my periphery, and now I'm really glad I saw it. So I don't know if what's out there that I haven't seen yet is fantastic or not. Maybe it is maybe it isn't i know i don't want to get burned again like i did with woodshock last year (laughs) yeah and that was a movie that came out and was part of our fall movie preview yes that said i i would say that it does look like if you're to look at the aggregate websites like metacritic or, or rotten tomatoes it does seem like a lot of the better films of the year are in the independent cinema uh, like movies I mentioned before, The Writer, Death of Stalin, First Reformed, etc. You were never really here. You look at the the wide releases, and you start to get some some more of the mediocre or decent critical responses. Because I think actually those are fair responses. I think there's a lot of good movies, like I said, but not a lot of great movies uh, that came out wide. Now. I know you have a couple things that you have observed, Shanna. Before we get into those things, I want to make some observations box office-wise. Because this has been really kind of interesting. So I think last year, we were noticing that, first of all, a lot of franchises were failing. But the box office was still doing a little bit better. Just, you know, those movies aside. This year, I think it's really interesting. You know you're in trouble when Fifty Shades, Freed, and Peter Rabbit are a, your two, a couple of your most successful movies of the year. So 
While again, we have three movies only that broke the top three. Or, sorry, only three movies that debuted in excess of $100 million. We um, have eight films out of the top ten that's total gross exceeded a hundred million dollars now you're cheating right now i was going to quiz you like i did last year no we're not doing that (laughs) Mm. so to run through really briefly for those who are interested the top 10 includes starting at number 10 rampage with uh dwayne johnson a A wrinkle in time yes 50 shades freed peter rabbit Ready Player One. Solo, a Star Wars story. A Quiet Place. Deadpool 2. Avengers Infinity War at at $644 million at number two. And then at number one, we have Black Panther. Yes. At $699 million, just shy of $700 million, about $55 million more than Avengers Infinity War. Now, that probably doesn't come as any surprise to anyone. Now, you might be thinking, this is, this is interesting. First of all, if you look through it, Disney is dominating the top 10, right? With Black Panther, Avengers Infinity War, Solo, A Star Wars Story, and A Wrinkle in Time. However, those stats are a little misleading because A Wrinkle in Time was a giant failure at the box office. I don't have the information of its budget, but I know that its production budget is well in excess of $100 million. And it did not break $98 million. Domestically. Domestically, right. Worldwide though, it's not much better. It really isn't. It's only $130 million. So most of, and this doesn't happen very very often, most of its box office actually came from its domestic figures so uh, it doesn't really do much to parse those two things out so wrinkle of time was a huge failure Uh, we talked about it in a previous episode if you want to hear more more thoughts about that second of all solo a star wars story okay so we have a star wars movie that is at number five for the year now you think oh okay it's only been out for two weeks it's already at number five that's not bad actually it really is because in two weeks time when the last jedi came out that film had already exceeded like wonder woman and had become like the number one or two movie of the year right it was like already climbing up to beauty and the beast numbers or something so solo a star wars story which had significant reshoots and because of its reshoots its budget ended up being $250 million. Oh, shoot. Yes. For this thing in two weeks to only be around $152 million and to have an opening weekend of $84 million, first of all, its second weekend took a 65% drop. It went from $84 million down to like $29 million. So that is very, very, very bad for a Star Wars film. And I'm hoping that maybe Kathleen Kennedy and the rest of Lucasfilm and Disney will be rethinking their strategy for their future spin-off films, i.e. maybe don't rehash the old characters. 
at any rate, so that movie, even though it's number five, it should it should not be below A Quiet Place, right? It's doing very poorly. So really, uh, A Quiet Place is kind of take, taking the place of Get Out this year in the sense that we have a small horror film that only costs, you know, like $20 million or less. I think less. it's important to say original as well. That's what I was about. I was going there. Yeah. I was going there. Because the top three films are like franchises, and then you've yes. got A Quiet Place. Well, you could also really, it's important to point out that it is the only film in the top ten that is an original product. All wow. um, all other films are, if not part of a franchise, part they of a book. are ad- adaptations of something else, be it a book or a video game or what have you. So, it, it, it's really interesting, you know, and then you look, you, you go down the list of what else came out, and not only do you see the box numbers really dr- steadily drop, the quality of the films starts steadily dropping, for the most part, too, you know? It gets really, really spotty between mediocre and, and terrible, with an occasional good film in there. Like, Annihilation probably is a film that should have earned more than it made. It only made $32.7 million, which, you know, after looking at that that film and how gorgeous it is, you gotta know that that, yeah, the budget was $40 million. So that's a film that, that deserved to break even, but did not. I think we should also say that it's about number 34 on the list. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, it is. That's, it's, how it's far down. that's how far down it is. Yeah, yeah. So those are some brief notes about the box office. Disney is dominating, but uh, second to that, I should say, is Warner Brothers with Ready Player One at $136 million and uh, Rampage at $95 million. And then short, shortly before, uh, below that is Game Night at $68.9 million, uh, which is just outside the top ten of the year so far and then tomb raider at number 17 with 57 million and anyway those are some you know very some objective box office figures of the performance of the year and i think that is very indicative of the quality of this year i have a feeling this happens like every other year or maybe once every two years the first half of a year will be kind of not so great and then everything awesome of that year will have come out the second half of the year and we'll probably talk more about that when we have our fall movie preview and, and stuff like that um being as how there's not a lot coming out in the rest of the summer that's spectacular we have incredibles 2 ant-man and wasp and mission impossible fallout but i have a feeling most of the great stuff's going to come out after august and that happens from time to time. I think 2009 was a good example of this, if I remember correctly. Shanna, what are some of the things that you have noticed about the year to... Not 2009. About the year oh 2018. Oh my god, please don't take me back there. <laughs> Perfectly fine where I am right now. <laughs> so I'm beginning to notice the role of women being shed of the male gaze. I've noticed something very interesting with the portrayal of women. Okay. So I'm beginning to notice that the role of women... Um, is being shed of the male gaze. If you look at Tomb Raider, usually you'll see her depicted as this character that's in really, really short shorts, Mm -hmm. which makes no freaking sense, especially if you're in the forest. Now she has long pants. Makes sense. Uh, You see her with like a crop top and massive cleavage. I mean, you know, if she were to climb up something, 
honestly, those boobs would be falling out. Like, let's be real. So she looks more realistic for someone in that environment. So that's very cool. Uh, That's fashion-wise, the male gaze. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) And I'm noticing there are a ton of uh, leadership roles that are really evident to us. Yes. You just look at Black Panther and it's practically all the women in there have got very strong leadership roles and they're showing the women in those roles and showing how much power they have in the decision making. It's very cool. Mm -hmm. But then you also look at Annihilation. All four women entering the shimmer, so the weird mystery that is seen in the trailer, they're all women. They're all of some sort of, you know... Uh, scientific uh, scientific or medical background yes. and what was kind of funny with that movie is you know they, they realize that all four of them are women and they're like all women going into the shimmer and I'm like guys we get it <laughs> the you're saying of, they're really on the yeah nose. they were really on the nose so yeah. women like we, we heard you they're also sh- something really cool and exciting is they're showing like an authentic whole picture of female characters so mm. what where we see this is in tully is that the only example is in tully no i would also say quiet place probably okay. has two of the best female characters that sort of even though they're in a horror film there's a lot of realistic realistic challenges realistic um authentic moments that are going to be very painful that you live through as a person Hmm. that you're going to see those actresses going through those different things Hmm. so it's very cool seeing that and i'm really trying not to spoil any of that women are not just there for the male gaze anymore in fact we're now there if they're not in leadership if they're not being if they're not being portrayed authentic you're gonna see something like revenge where they're taking back power uh, as and it, it's going to look gritty it doesn't have to look like this beautiful progression which to is clarify really cool. you are you're not talking about the concept of revenge you are talking about no, a, I'm talking a, about the film revenge a french film called revenge yes absolutely you know even with the movie now these are pretty cool movies movies that i'm pretty biased towards but even something like breaking in that might not necessarily do so well uh-huh. seems to show a whole new level of Mother Bear kicking ass at right, its best. Right, right. I, I'm actually quite curious about that film. How much did it make? It it opened at 17.6 million. It's currently made 41.6 million. I'm looking at its budget right now. When you take that in consideration, and, and its budget was only six million dollars, very lean 90 minute thriller. It's actually doing fairly well in that consideration. It's just not going to blow doors off or anything like that, you know, in terms of the overall big picture. But, you know, don't be surprised if you uh, see Gabrielle Union in in other similar roles. Maybe she'll be the next Liam Neeson. I would totally be down with that. I, I am quite fond of her. Now, it's not all rosy and it's not all progressive. I mean, you've got... Deadpool 2 that fucked up with their female. Except... With one of them, it doesn't matter. It fucked up with one. I would still say, I would still say what it is worth noting that you did have Domino in that movie and and she was a scene stealer. Yes, she was fantastic. Two films, in my mind, did not get this portrayal of woman right. And that is Deadpool 2 and Ready Player One. Mm. They could have done better and they just did not. 
Yeah, and we actually have reviewed both of those movies in past episodes, so people can look back uh, and listen to our discussion about those, and as well as our disagreement about those, those two characters, mm-hmm. too. I also noticed that, you know, with my top three films, something that we've been lacking in Hollywood, hmm. a depiction of an untouched Africa, a deaf hero, a postpartum mom depicting the heavy sense of loneliness. I just feel like those things are important for us to start including. And what I would really like to see next year is, you know, more original movies of people with handicaps and maybe a little bit of some dyslexica thrown in there. Is it dyslexia? No. Yes, dyslexia. Yeah, so I'd like a little bit of that thrown in there. I'd Mm. like to see a little bit of... Down syndrome in there. It would be great to see more of the world, essentially. Well, I will say that you spot on with the women roles thing. That's one of the biggest things I've noticed uh, this year, and and obviously one of the strengths. If you look through some of not only the top grossing movies of the year, but other movies in addition to that, some of which are in the independent circuit. A lot of the movies are, it's probably closer to 50% of the movies now, feature a strong female lead, if not some supporting characters, like in the case of Black Panther, that are, are giving us something that we haven't had before. In that case, it's strong black women. Breaking In does that in the form of a, a female lead, right? Mm-hmm. You know, and we've gotten that role before with with white women uh, being the mother bear, but I don't think we've gotten it so much with a black woman, which is notable and worthwhile. And the fact that we just saw that it's actually doing fairly decent for a film of its size is is really awesome to see. We also have several F-rated films that have come out. We've talked about F-rated in past episodes. Those are movies that are written and or directed by women. And star. If it, if it also stars a female lead, it's triple F-rated. But So we have some F-rated movies. That includes A Wrinkle in Time, Blockers, I Feel Pretty, Tolly, the French film Revenge, Tomb Raider, Book Club, Life of the Party, Miracle Season, and Ruth Bader Ginsburg. And a handful of those are actually directed by women as well, such as Blockers, which is directed by Kay Cannon, and, of course, Wrinkle in Time, directed by one of our favorites. Ava DuVernay? Ava DuVernay, yes, correct. So I think your your observation is quite apt that women have been playing a very strong role in film this year, and it's very exciting and very cool. And I hope... The fact that several of these have been box office successes, uh, like Black Panther, like A Quiet Place, you know, bodes well for the future of film in this way, uh, too. And also the desexualizing, too, of women. Most of these women, if not all of them, they, they seem like more grounded and fully fleshed out, or if not... Uh, desexualized characters they're not costumed or really shot in ways to for for male audiences to drool over right to please male audiences 
it's it's really more of a, a matter of fact like these are characters who more often than not happen to be women or in the case of something like Tully it's where being a woman is a an important aspect of who they are because they're a mom or, or what have you, you know? they've just popped out a baby yeah exactly at age 40 something body's not gonna elastitize as quickly as it used to yeah I think so, it's important to say that so that's definitely a strength of the movies this year, and I look forward to seeing what happens with the rest of the year in film in that regard. Shanna, shall we move on to our picks for uh, the worst of the year? Oh, yes. Let's. Okay. So just like last year, what we're doing this year is we chose our respective picks for the worst movie we saw this year and then we'll move on to a combined agreed on list of our top five movies of the year so far yeah let's do it all right so why don't you start us off shanna what was the worst movie you have seen so far this year the worst movie i have seen so far this year is solo is it? Tell us some more about that. We did review it in the last episode, but but why is it the worst film you've seen this year? The reason it's the worst film that I saw this year is twofold. <laughs> <laughs> One, we already know Han's story, and they felt the need to cash on a all-time favorite character. I can just... It just feels dirty to me, the idea of that. You know, I remember when we watched Force Awakens and how... Everybody was, you know, cheered uh, when the writing came up, and then everybody lost their shit when Solo and Chewie appeared on screen. And I can just imagine, like, them being like, oh, we should totally make a Solo film. We should totally do that. Here we go. And everyone will cheer for it. And it's, you know, it's very disappointing to see those numbers. I, I feel sorry for them, but at the same time, I was like, you know what? Says you're right. Yeah. You know, don't touch that. I agree. Secondly, you know, here's an opportunity to, well, bring about a new Star Wars film, entirely new, mm-hmm. and they didn't do that. Right. Um, it could have been anything. It could have even been a droid movie. Mm-hmm. I would have found that very interesting mm-hmm. if it just featured L3. <laughs> you know, maybe not all her. Yeah. <laughs> maybe not for two hours or however right. long the film was. She was kind of the spice of the movie. Yeah, yeah. but just something you know and it it could have been really cool it could have like spoke to what society is dealing with right now and it could have been translated into droid world you know anything well Um, i i will say that the entire concept that that film introduces with droid rights leads to a whole series of questions and 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 problems that bleed into the entire saga Uh, you know what I really it's very actually, problematic. But. I really actually don't care. I'm like, I don't need to see more of Solo. Yeah, I your don't. point is you'd like to see something different. Yeah. I agree with a lot of what you said, which is why it would be my, my second worst movie so far this year. But my pick for the worst movie I have seen this year, which is actually also doubly the most disappointing film, is A Wrinkle in Time. Partially because, actually in big part, because of the talent involved in this film. We have Ava DuVernay, who is one of the best women working in film right now and most interesting filmmakers we have right now. She has the opportunity to make a big budget film 
adapt a property, but also the cast, too. We have Reese Witherspoon, who was very active in this film. We have Oprah Winfrey, Mindy Kaling, Chris Pine. It all just was a colossal disappointment. The effects were questionable at times, uh, sometimes jaw-dropping, sometimes gorgeous, but very often just very questionable. The character development was almost non-existent. This is a very well-meaning story that had a very important place in our year, and it just was a huge missed opportunity. It was, it was, like, it was like they missed the ball, a total whiffed. Uh, this uh, this opportunity, so that's our picks for the worst of the year. Oh, I'd like to respond to your choice, actually. Oh, okay. I agree with you, but I also feel like it's important to maybe think that maybe Ava DuVernay just needs her own thing. You know, maybe it doesn't have to be an adaptation of a book, that, well, it a doesn't. childhood classic. Sure, I'm not arguing that it needs to be. No, I'm saying that it would be nice if there was something that she could do that was her original work or something to that effect. It doesn't have to be what it was. And if you look at the family movies that came out so far this year, I oh, mean, you've got yeah. A Wrinkle in Time, you've got Peter Rabbit. Uh-huh. Paddington 2. You've got Paddington 2. Those are all books, childhood very important childhood things for not only the children of this generation but previous generations there's quite a lot of pressure there and then you got Sherlock Gnomes but do I really have to acknowledge that? Show dogs Uh, well you know what we're not even going to talk about that because there's so many things that are wrong with that film I'm sure I can find another one (laughs) but it's just really interesting that this is the year where the kids aren't getting anything. They aren't getting an original movie. Well, Early Man is original. That was by the studio, by Ardman Studios. I'm sorry, which one is that? That was the one about the Stone Age moving into the Bronze Age. Oh, okay. Sure. I guess it just didn't appeal to me. Mm. Maybe it did for a lot of other kids, but I know our son is not into that. Mm. Yeah, so I mean, like, there are some exceptions to to what you're saying, but overall, it hasn't been great. And Wrinkle of Time could have been great, but it definitely was not. All right, so Shanna, we created our combined list of the five best movies of the year. Number five is Avengers Infinity War. Yes, it gets to be at the bottom for all the disappointment. (laughs) <laughs> now you say that but you, you make it sound like it's not very deserving of being on this list which obviously we we placed it at when we created our own independent list for me to create a weighted list we both put it at number five for the year i just you know my heart hurts sometimes when i think about what i went through watching that film right. it's a really great film it's quite a masterpiece combining all those different films that have taken place over the what the last decade yeah and you know bringing it to this main event but it was also really heartbreaking watching it sure which i i expected and i was actually that won me over even more the fact that it, it actually did follow through and actually sacrifice some characters. And I'm not just talking about the very end. I'm talking about throughout the story. We reviewed uh, this film, of course, a a couple episodes back. You can definitely listen to that in in our, 
I think there's an all-episode in-depth review of the film and our praise of it. But also, I think, yeah, this is a movie that paid off a long, not a long con, but a long bet. And the fact that it was that successful earns its place on this list. Shannon, do you want to introduce our number four pick? Yes, our number four is the ever-so-fun Game Night. Yes, Game Night starring Jason Bateman, Rachel McAdams, and... One of our favorite actors from Friday Night Lights, Kyle Chandler. Probably the most fun outside of an action film we saw this year, yeah? It was one of the best ones. Yeah, and it's always nice to have a romantic comedy. But guys, listen, I don't need to see the challenge of marriage being, oh, we can't have a kid biologically. We can't do this. I'm so sick of that that challenge coming up in a marriage. We can address something different for a change. But it wasn't that. And I, I appreciated what it was doing with that plot line. We can't talk about it because it's kind of a spoiler to talk about it. I appreciated what it did do with that primary issue that can be a problem with couples. And you just brought up, it's Jesse Plemons. I was trying to remember. He plays... A very, very creepy neighbor. Oh, but he's not that bad. He's just like... He's very, very creepy. We can't get into spoilers, but... A very funny film, very clever film. It has uh, has some twists to it. I couldn't really find very many flaws in the film. I thought it was a very solid and effective comedy. Yeah? Yes. Alright, so, number three was a film that we saw only a couple days ago, Revenge. This is starring Matilda Ann Ingrid Lutz. Is that really her whole name? Uh, yes, she often goes okay. by Matilda Lutz. Some people may know her okay. from Rings last year. Okay. Uh, then we have Kevin Janssen's, or Janssen's. I'm not really sure how to pronounce that. We have Vincent Colum, and I'm going to let you take that one. <laughs> I think it's... Uh, Guillaume Bouchere. And it's, We're so sorry. Yes, <laughs> we so are. Sorry. We are. But most importantly, <laughs> it, it is directed by first-time director Coralie Fargit, I believe. Again, we're terrible with French pronunciations, so apologies. But it is a, a French-English revenge story. It's very gory. Oh my god, yes. (laughs) The cinematography is just fantastic. It is. You've got a lot of blue and orange happening, which is usually associated with action post-apocalyptic films. Think Mad Max, Fury Road. Mm -hmm. But except this time, it's all with a revenge film, and it's happening in Morocco. Yeah, I I know it was shot in Morocco. I don't know if it's actually taking place in Morocco. It doesn't seem to be very specific with its setting. But it is... Man, boy is this movie gory. It's probably the goriest movie I have seen in a long time. It was definitely testing my endurance. But extremely effective. I, I wish we could get into spoilers about this movie, but you do have... A, a film that starts out very much emphasizing the male gaze and sexualizing of a female character. And then you have a female character be transformed into an angel of vengeance. And it is incredible. And there are, admittedly, a couple character choices like, why didn't you get off that road? 
the kind of things that you that a question kind of nits like that and i do wish we had a better establishment of the male characters who are responsible for the events that take place and and move the action you know what is their what exactly is their dynamic it doesn't quite make sense but in terms of crafting our list of the best of the year this was the one that we could both agree on was definitely worth noting and worth seeking out yes and actually they do establish the relationship they are family friends and work together yeah, I didn't get that very clearly from it. In fact, if you look up these plot synopsis, it doesn't even like very clearly say that even. But anyway, uh, we should move on to our pick for the second best movie of the year. Our second best movie for the year is Tully, starring Charlize Theron. We have already done a full review of this film, but it is about a woman who has just had her third baby and we go through an entire process of what it's like post baby time that's that's vague enough yeah okay fantastic directed by jason reitman (laughs) there are spoilers guys so you know just do yourselves a favor and go ahead and watch it and if you're yeah if you're pregnant right now go ahead and watch it with your significant other uh all by yourself Either one is fine, but if you do have a significant other with you, then they should be with you while you watch it. I think we all learn from that film that getting support from your partner is very important. But uh, that's a film that definitely needs your support because it is number 48 for the year. It's only made $9 million. So if it is still playing at your theater, please throw some cash out. Please go watch it. It is an F-rated film also written by Diablo Cody who worked with Jason Reitman previously on Young Adult and Juno. And I would say this film is even better than Young Adult, if not Juno. So that's our second best film of the year. For more details on that, check out our Tolly episode. And our first, our number one film of the year so far is... A Quiet Place. Now, another film that we reviewed earlier this year which knocked us on our feet just absolutely blew us away very effective horror film very effective pg-13 horror film one of those movies that i can only imagine how effective it would have been if if you won if i would have gone in cold having no idea what this movie is about especially if you think about the first couple scenes where it's it's building this world everybody has to be quiet People are signing. Why is that? Why? What happened to the world? Why does it seem like a post-apocalyptic world? What happened? If you go in without knowing anything on that level, which probably is impossible for most of you listening, especially if you actually have been a regular listener of the show, but I just can imagine how effective that is. And it is a very effective uh, film overall, even with that aside. Emily Blunt is great in it john krasinski is very surprising as a director bringing his a game and and becoming a very promising uh director for the future i'd like to see what he does next uh, this is probably a movie that you know, like it may not stay even in our top 10 by the end of the year oh i don't know you know but i would i would be very surprised if it ended up still squeaking in after all is said and done at the end of the year but right now being 
what the year has been so far, it's definitely, I think we can agree, the most effective and, and best film that we have seen so far. Yes, I totally agree with you. I think this is a fantastic original film, and it's a horror I can watch. So if I can watch it, so can you. A couple honorable mentions. I will mention... Uh, Black Panther! Un- yes, that's your pick for honorable mention. I agree. I think it's like if I were to make this list myself, it would be my number six. It's a very solid uh, film. We can't wait to see it again. I'd be very interested in seeing it a second time. And I just wanted everyone to know that if you're in the Seattle area, the Mopop is exhibiting the comic book history, Avengers, all that stuff. And you actually get to see some of the costumes from Black Panther. Very exciting. Yes. Uh, other uh, honorable mention is Annihilation from the director of Ex Machina, starring Natalie Portman, Gina Rodriguez, and Oscar Isaac. Very, very smart sci-fi kind of movie where you, uh, I was left thinking, I think I saw something great, but I kind of need to rewatch it to fully get it. What did I just see happen? It shouldn't come as surpri- any surprise if you've seen Ex Machina that the director, Alex Garland, would create something so such highbrow sci-fi and, and very interesting. It's also a, a very beautiful, visually gorgeous film. Probably the most gorgeous film you'll have seen so far this year. Isn't that right, Shanna? Yes, I wish that this film could get more praise. There, there really is some beautiful set design, beautiful concepts. I mean, it's the kind of thing that you would see in an art gallery if you took it as, you know, someone's photography project. I would say Annihilation and Tully are probably the two most overlooked films this year. Yes, please go support them. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so what are your picks of the worst and the best of the year so far? Email us at thegibsonreview at gmail.com. That'll about do it for our look at the year so far. Shanna, you know what time it is. It's time to review our top 12 films of 1998. Here we go! That's right. So, Film Phase, for those who aren't familiar, is a feature that originated from the original blog, The Gibson Review, where I would count down 12 favorite movies um, around a particular topic or counting down through the years. The purpose of Film Phase is not only to give you an idea of our personal tastes in film, but also to hopefully expose you two different movies that maybe you haven't seen or heard of before. And to that end, we actually try to point you in the direction where you can find these films available on certain streaming platforms, such as Prime, Netflix, HBO Now, and Hulu. I don't know about you, Shanna, but I had a really hard time with 1998 coming up with a full list of 12 favorite movies it just wasn't as good a year as 1999 or other years that we've covered in the past yes 1999 is my favorite 90s year so far Mm -hmm. but uh so far in two years (laughs) well we've got like another seven to do after this no sorry (laughs) like however many uh so let's get into it all right so start us off with your number 12 my number 12 is small soldiers which is available to stream on prime and hulu now you might be thinking, is she crazy? But there's something <laughs> <laughs> there's something really fun about toys coming to life. And when I was young, this was fun. And now it's just, I'll be honest with you, it's really silly and stupid to watch. But it's like as if Michael Bay got to do a Toy Story type film. That's what it's like. 
not as many awesome angles as like The Rock, but it's still it's pretty funny. This is actually directed by Joe Dante. It stars Kristen Dunst, Gregory oh. Smith, Tommy Lee Jones, Franklin Geller. Uh, a defense contractor acquires a toy company and they pump out what is called the Gorgonites and Commando Elite. These are electronic toys with the wrong microprocessor. So these toys are programmed to fight back. Okay. So <laughs> that's what you're going to get if you watch that one. Interesting. Uh, my number 12 is A Bug's Life. The Bug's Life is the uh, Pixar film from 1998. It was Pixar's follow-up film uh, to uh, the original Toy Story. And, you know, I think it, it's a Pixar film that gets overlooked a lot. And that's probably because it's not one of their best movies, necessarily. I'm looking now uh, to see where I ranked it overall. Uh, when we did our Pixar marathon a year or two ago... And I ranked it actually near the bottom, just above Brave and below A Good Dinosaur, uh, which I find actually very interesting in retrospect, because I do think it's a little bit better than a movie like Good Dinosaur, just not visually as sophisticated, of course. Uh, there's a lot to enjoy, a lot of fun characters, very humorous film, and of course it is a, a very sweet story about an underdog making good on his community basically and uh, freeing them from an oppressive power so that's a bug's life and it's worth checking out again revisiting but unfortunately all of my movies except for one oddly enough are not available to stream right now so we'll get to uh, that film later on what's your number 11 my number 11 is something about mary the stars cameron diaz and ben it didn't Stiller. make it to your list <laughs> just barely so yay you know i'm sure you're going to talk about this later but essentially it's like how things can go wrong and then even further down that path so <laughs> in a comedic fashion how things can go wrong in what sense well, I'm sure you'll get into it, but, you know, it's all about a date going wrong, and then the date gets repeated, like, a decade later, and things still go wrong. So, I'll just wait for you to carry on talking about that. All right, fair enough, fair enough. So, speaking of dates, my number 11 is City of Angels, starring Meg Ryan and Nicolas Cage. Oh, I see. See, that did not make my list. That's very because interesting. Because it made me very sad. Okay. So there you go. So that's interesting. So the reason why it's so far down my list at this point is because of a single five, three to five minutes in the entire movie. The entire film around that is actually surprisingly very effective and very affecting. It's beautiful, absolutely gorgeous. I feel like Meg Ryan and Nicolas Cage do actually a very serviceable job for what is an American remake of a classic film, Wings of Desire, I believe is the name of the original by Vim Vendors. A great film, by the way, different setting and all that, but I feel like City of Angels actually is, is quite enjoyable and quite gorgeous, too. To There's a couple at. scenes that are edited in not a good held up way. Well, you know, it's it's but otherwise it's really yeah. pretty. Yeah, I would agree. I would agree, and it's it may be one of Meg Ryan's last great performances too. But yes, those five minutes that kind of uh, 
really is painful to watch and, and it is kind of hurts the film a little bit. And I, I, I can't fault you for leaving it off your list because of that. You're probably not the yeah, only one. That's what you get. Beautiful soundtrack and score, though, by the way. Ugh. So that's The City of Angels. What is your number 10? My number 10 is Lethal Weapon 4. I am a huge <laughs> Lethal Weapon fan. Mm-hmm. This stars Mel Gibson, Danny Glover, Joe Pesci, Rene Russo, which I love her so much, uh, Chris Rock, Jet Li. As I said, I love that franchise, and this one does not, like, it's not an exception to the case. There's secrets in this film, and they have comical, they have comedic results, and maybe it's not the best, of the, it's not as good as number three or two, but man, there's some fun stuff that happens here, and I love seeing Mel Gibson and Danny Glover together. Sure, yeah, absolutely. Oh, um, and I, I guess I should also say that, you know, their whole, like, storyline is about essentially busting a Chinese immigrant smuggling ring. Yeah, yeah, that's right. That's right, yeah. My number 10 is a lesser-known movie, ensemble film, called Playing by Heart. Goodness, okay, I'm going to take a deep breath and try to remember everybody who's in this movie. Angelina Jolie, Ryan Philippe, Sean Connery, Gina Rollins, Gillian Anderson, the list goes on, Uh, Jon Stewart by the way. This is an ensemble romance movie. You have a bunch of disparate characters that ultimately connect somehow. I really fell in love with this movie when I first saw it several years ago. I don't even know how I came across it necessarily because nobody really seems to know about this movie and you don't see it around very often. It's not a surprise that it's not available to stream right now. But if you can find it, it is a delight to enjoy. And you have a nice balance of, of different stories, uh, some whimsical, some less whimsical. I really like Angelina Jolie in, very early in her career, but she's very um, engaging and spunky. And um, I, I just really, really find her appealing in this movie. Sean Connery is having fun in a way that he rarely gets to have fun but also has a little bit of substance to his uh, character, too. It's a great ensemble uh, film, and I I really, really love playing by heart. My number nine is Wedding Singer, with Drew Barrymore and Adam Sandler, a fun romantic comedy where Adam Sandler is not too much Adam Sandler. That's my number nine also. Oh, well, cool. I, I really liked it because, you know, it shows these two people in the wedding industry, and yeah. I think anyone who's done anything within that <laughs> insane uh, industry will get a, a laugh or two out of it. Yeah, this was one that I recently uh, showed you. and Yes, it was quite a surprise. Isn't it? Mm-hmm. It's probably my favorite Adam Sandler movie ever. And I think it was the first that was actually like tolerable. I wish he could be like this more often because he's, <laughs> actually, he's actually quite enjoyable. Yeah, he can be. You know, just like one little burst. One burst. (laughs) One burst of what? Like of emotion. You get one. Uh, And because he did have one moment where. You're talking about where he's screaming or what? Yeah. Where it like made sense. You know, it wasn't just for nothing. It's actually part of the character. And and of course, it has a lot of fun with the 80s, it has a great 80s soundtrack. Drew Barrymore is adorable. I think it's the best of their parents, too, because they did three films together. 
Uh, 51st. Oh, I did like Fifty First Dates. Though. That's not too bad a film, yeah. but I didn't. I didn't think it was quite as good as Wedding Singer, and uh, there's just a lot to really enjoy. Uh, a lot of a lot of cameos and references. And it's a lot of fun. Yeah, Wedding okay. Singer. So, what's your number eight? So it looks like my number eight is Blade with Wesley Snipes. I rather enjoy this man very much. It is, as you said, it was like the first Marvel film that got made, right? Not not like completely like Howard the Duck was in the yeah. early 80s, but like it's the first legit, like decent Marvel movie. Yeah. And so I feel like it had to be somewhere, and that's where it is. <laughs> and the, the blood and the gore and the weird take on vampires is very interesting. And mm-hmm. <laughs> there's some, yes. That 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 scene at the end is just really bad. Yeah. They they that need to go sequence. back in there and fix it. We won't yeah. judge you if you fix it. So there we go. And we talked about it more in the previous episode. Yes. Yeah. So what is your number eight? My number eight is Life Is Beautiful, the Italian Holocaust film, which uh, by Roberto Benigni, by the way, which uh, was a huge sensation back in 1998. Won several and was nominated for several Academy Awards beautiful film it's been a long time since i've seen it i know some critics have soured on it over time the film is in part an absolutely gorgeous sweet romantic film and then it uh, turns into a film that takes place during the holocaust and is about a, a father protecting and looking after his son and you know he does it in the only way he can in order to shelter his son from the horrors of the Holocaust by pretending that it's all for pretend, that everybody around them is all acting and it's all a game. And there's something very... That is incredibly heartbreaking. (laughs) It is incredibly heartbreaking. It is very bittersweet, I guess. Or melancholic, I would say. It's just a beautiful film and instantly became one of my favorites 20 years ago when I saw it. Next... My number seven is The Parent Trap, a fun remake with Lindsay Lohan, not a shitty remake like Freaky Friday with also <laughs> Lo- Lindsay Lohan, actually. So it's yeah. really funny yeah. that they saw her as the, it was that Jodie Foster in the originals. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's really funny that they saw her as the Jodie Foster, the new one. Yeah. Um, but not so much with The Parent Trap. That was Haley Mills. Oh, okay. Gotcha. Anyway, I, I love this film. It was charming. It was well acted. The performances were really fun. There were lots of comedic moments. Oh, and by the way... This is one of those, wait a second, that's really disturbing films where it's like, wait, these two people got together and got pregnant and it was twins mm-hmm. and they're, the best they could come up with was, well, you take one and I'll take one. And mm-hmm. they were to never know uh, know of each other yeah. until one day. Yeah. So it's a little bit fucked up in that way. But yeah. I mean, uh, yeah. who is the mom? I miss her so much. Natasha... Richardson, if I remember correctly. Yeah, yeah, I miss her. Yeah. So I, I enjoyed that. Yeah, very cute film. I agree. My number seven, however, is The Mask of Zorro, mm-hmm. starring Antonio Banderas and Anthony Hopkins and Catherine Zeta-Jones. This movie is a, a, so much fun. It was one of the, probably like the big action films of that summer such a blast it was great to see the Zorro character revived and revitalized and reinvigorated it's just a just a a quick breezy fun action film 
that I thought was really well executed. My number six is Pleasantville. Tobey Maguire, Reese Witherspoon, in this seemingly perfect world, these two siblings get trapped in a TV show and are made aware of the realities of life, like racism. Well, they make the, other, the, the TV show aware of realities of life and like racism. My number six is Shakespeare in Love. We've talked about this film in previous episodes. It shouldn't come as any surprise that it ended up on my list. Gwyneth Paltrow, Joseph Fiennes, Jeffrey Rush, Ben Affleck, and of course the film itself won Best Picture that year. It is not, in my estimation, the best movie of the year, but it actually is one of the best movies of the year. A very solid romantic comedy that still holds up well today. If you're a theater geek, you'll love it for a variety of different reasons. And if you're a Shakespeare fan, you'll find a lot to mine and enjoy. It is just very delightful and one of the most successful romantic comedies of 1998. My number five is Truman Show. Oh, really? That's my yeah. number five. Oh, what? That's crazy. We're so cute. You can find that on Netflix. Excellent. Uh, this stars Jim Carrey and Ed Harris, just to name a couple. Truman is adopted and raised by a corporation that simulates his life. He is like the real life days of our lives. No, no. It's like a, it's oh. a precursor to reality TV. Oh, it's, okay. It's, it's, it's basically like foreseeing what our TV culture basically became for like a decade and a half it's 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 really something uh, quite a effective film i think you talk about it in a more <laughs> a more praising way <laughs> than me i did enjoy this this movie if you haven't seen it in a really long time you need to rewatch it because i think it's one of those movies that you kind of come to appreciate 20 years later or 15 years later more than like at the time it was a good film oh really you know it was considered a really good film and it it probably was one of the best movies of the year but it's really like now you look at it in hindsight and what it was portending for lack of a better term and it's a great film and it's one of jim carrey's best films i liked seeing him in this kind of character mm. and I don't think this film did too well in South Africa at the time. Oh. Probably just, I, I don't know, I don't have a reason, but yeah, I had watched it too young, and then when I watched it, you know, every time I watch it later in my life, it gets more and more interesting to me. Yeah, when was the last time you saw it? I think about three or four years ago. Okay, so not, not too long, about what it was for me, too, yeah. At any rate, uh, what is your number four? Mulan. Oh, okay. Tell me yes. about this. This is a talk about movies I have to revisit. This is about Mulan, the daughter, and... It's about the legend about the young woman who who uh, secretly goes into battle posing as a man. To protect her father from going to war. In, in China, by the way. In mm -hmm. China, very important. And she has a, a guide helping her. Um, one of her ancestral guides are helping her. Is that what the dragon by Eddie Murphy is? Oh, you know what? He's more like a he's like a helper to the ancestors. Or so the ancestors someone may say a talking comedic animal psychic. Yeah, that too. <laughs> I really enjoyed this film and 
it was really nice seeing a woman in a warrior role at that age that I was when mm. this came out and it was very fascinating for me and mm -hmm. I loved seeing the the eastern side of things mm -hmm. and that was that was always kind of forbidden on half of my family was you could not show any interest in that part of the world and interesting it was really cool to be able to get my hands on something that was Disney approved. So my grandma um, at the time had to shut the fuck up. <laughs> and <laughs> it was something that I really fell in love with. I fell in love with her. Very cool. I could definitely see why. My number four is There's Something About Mary, which is hands down the best comedy of 1998 in fact afi acknowledged it as one of the greatest comedies in film and honestly like the the what are they the fairly brothers this is probably their only really good film that they ever made they were really big on gross out comedy and immature comedy mm. and they made kingpin and uh what is that movie stuck on you and and, you know, I think me, myself, and Irene, if I'm not mistaken, just a, a bunch of really, like, out there, broad, slapsticky, gross comedies. They might have made The Dumb and Dumber, which is probably, like, their second best, if that was the case. But overall, I'm not a huge Fairly Brothers fan, but there's something about Mary, I think there's something about that movie <laughs> that just really works. And I think it's the heart at it, uh, in, the, in the center of it. Ben Stiller may be a huge reason why it works. This guy who, you know, in hindsight, you, you could actually, in, a, in an era of Me Too and Time's Up, really kind of question his motives and, mm. and his background. Like, why is it that all these years he's obsessed over this, this one woman? And there's definitely certain characters who kind of represent the male gaze with regards to how they respond to Mary. Mary, of course, played by Cameron Diaz, who four years previously debuted in The Mask with Jim Carrey. And I think this was when her career really, really exploded and took off, and she was a star with um, the Something About Mary. But hilarious film. It, I think it really works really well. The gags work really, really well. And so that's why it's my number four film. My number three is Ever After, a Cinderella story. This stars Drew Barrymore, so it was kind of a cool year for her. With the sudden death of her loving father, Danielle is made a servant by her new stepmother. She also has two new stepsisters, one quite kind, but the other quite horrid. Still, Danielle grows up to be a happy and strong-willed young lady, and one day her path crosses with that of the handsome Prince Henry, who has troubles of his own at home. Luckily, the nice Leonardo da Vinci is on hand to help all round. And I think he's like one of the main really cool parts of that film. And I really enjoyed watching Drew Barrymore in this role. I, I always saw her as this like, like, oh, she's that girl in, okay. in that film, you know, like, always romancy and cutesy and yeah, yeah. Um, it was really nice to see her in this because this character is really different she is very strong-willed she's not like cinderella in the disney movie where it's like oh this is happening to me oh my goodness okay. you know? <laughs> she you see her and she's saving people hmm. and she's fighting for what's right and it's really wonderful huh 
I, I admit it's been a while since I've seen that movie. I liked it back then, but uh, you make me think I really need to refresh my memory. It is it. a really decent film. Yeah, very cool. My third favorite film of 1998 is Saving Private Ryan. Probably also in my top three of the entire war film genre. I, I revisited some of this recently and I was reminded of so much that Spielberg gets right in this film. I think, I think this film is actually, in hindsight, kind of underrated. I think this is the best film of 1998 and it really should have been recognized as such. No matter how you feel about its bookending, um, everything in between is incredible. The film is at times absolutely gorgeous and absolutely horrific also, you know? Everybody points to the, I think it's the D-Day scene. Mm. And that was, watching that at the age of 17, that was absolutely jaw-dropping. No one had ever depicted a real like combat like that in that way. It, it, it not only swore me off any war video games, but it also like really made me never want to um, get drafted into a war or anything, which there were times in my youth when that was actually a possibility. Even though what I didn't know was the way warfare worked at by that point was very different from how it worked in world war ii these images will get seared in your mind but more importantly you have an incredible cast that is led by tom hanks with appearances by paul giamatti and ted danson and several others but you start to really get to know and fall in love with this these group of guys and including Adam Goldberg. So that when the different set pieces occur, different battles, you are you you are greatly moved, touched, or and or one way or another affected by them. It's a great film and it, it, it deserves being revisited if you haven't seen it in twenty years. What is your second favorite movie? My second favorite movie is Stepmom, and I've talked about this on several different occasions in the podcasts. It stars Susan Sarandon, uh, Ed Harris, Julia Roberts. Mm -hmm. Three years after divorcing Susan Sarandon, Ed Harris decides to take the next step with his younger girlfriend, the fashion photographer Julia Roberts. And when she gets to meet the kids it's quite an interesting set of events that occur and there's a lot of different notes that are hit here that a lot of stepmoms and a lot of moms can relate to mm. and i'm sure husband you know, you know the in between the parent that is in between the two different sides can relate to as well and it just gives you something to think about from the children's perspective it's a very good film also very different from Saving Private Ryan. Yes, isn't it? <laughs> My second favorite film of 1998 is Dark City, starring Rufus Sewell and Kiefer Sutherland and the gorgeous Jennifer Connelly and William Hurt also. Uh, this film, I'm actually surprised that this didn't make your list. 
it is probably Alex Proyas's best film. I don't know if he will ever make a film as great as this. It is his most imaginative, one of the most imaginative sci-fi films of the 90s, easily in the top 10. It's a propulsive film. You don't realize this, but if you pay attention, you notice that the score, and I don't know who did the score, but it's, a, it's an amazing score. It actually keeps things moving. It, it, it's like this thing, this film does not slow down. And part of it is because that score just keeps moving on and keeps rolling. Jennifer Connelly is, is great in this film. William Hurt as this. I, I should uh, take a step back and explain. Basically, it's about a guy named Rufus, played by Rufus Sewell, who wakes up and discovers he may or may not be a serial killer, but he has no memory of anything. He's being uh, hunted by the cops, but he's also being hunted by a mysterious group of individuals. And it all culminates in a bigger mystery uh, that is very, very sci-fi. Roger Ebert actually was a huge champion of this film, and it's one of the few films he actually did a, a commentary uh, for, which I look forward to listening to someday. But yeah, Dark City, great film. That was a very good film, honey. Yes, that was a good choice. My number one is Practical Magic. Starring... <laughs> also, very, very different. <laughs> Fuck off. <laughs> this is like an ultimate favorite film for me. This is a feel-good film. I have girlfriends come over and watch this film with me, and then I want to cry because I'm like, I have friends. They're like sisters. They're like this movie. <laughs> We're not really doing magic or anything like that, but very exciting. So this, I'm going to read the description of this film. Sandra Bullock and Nicole Kidman are born into a magical family, a long line of magical fam magical history within this bloodline. And they're also known for the curse that when they get married and they've had children, the husband always dies. Mm. Did I mention that it's always girls that are born? When Nicole Kidman's boyfriend seems to be not the right kind of marriage material, things go awry and the sisters need to learn magic quickly. Mm. But I also need to mention that Stockard Channing is in this, Diane mm -hmm. Wiest is in this, yep. Aidan Quinn, who yep. I miss horribly, um, and even... Evan Rachel Wood is in this film. Evan Rachel Wood? Really? Yeah. That's so, very young Evan Rachel Wood. This is just really, uh, just such a great film about sisters, such a great film about, you know, being there for each other when it really counts, even though you might not want to be there for that particular thing. That is my favorite film of the year. Very cool. My favorite film, it was a difficult choice, especially among my top three, but I landed on Pleasantville, which is a film I've always loved. It's a film that's always moved me. It's a film that I've always found to be visually gorgeous. Mm. Um, I think, you know, 20 years later, there might be a couple moments, shots that don't quite hold up. But at the time, on a technical level, the way they, they melded the color and the black and white, it was absolutely not startling, but definitely stunning and, and beautiful and a wonder to watch. And then on top of the superficial beauty, you have this, this film that's about conformity versus non-conformity, about individuality and, and acceptance, tolerance, and community of different perspectives being um, accepted. It's, 
really, really a, a beautiful film. And it's probably Gary Ross's best film. I mean, he went on and he did the Hunger Games movie and some other things that I'm not necessarily a fan of. But this film, Reese Witherspoon and Tobey Maguire are the leads, as you mentioned before. I really like Reese Witherspoon. And I think this is one of the first movies that really won me over. Because before this, she had done like Fear, that, that, that thriller with Mark Wahlberg about the, the stalker boyfriend. That just sounds terrible. (laughs) Not great material, but here she really stepped it up a huge leap. J.T. Walsh, the great character actor who's since passed away, he's always really good at epitomizing hate and bigotry, and and Mm. he's no exception here. William H. Macy and Joan Allen are, are great in it. I could go on, really. It's a beautiful film. I love it. That's Pleasantville. But what is your favorite movie of 1998? Email us at at gmail.com. Shanna, before we talk about our next episode, could you share with everyone where they can find you on the internet? You can find me at shannapaxton.com. And from there, you'll find all my social media channels. Nice and easy and simple. So you can find the original gibsonreview.com. You'll find past episodes and articles and lists on there. Go to Facebook, The Gibson Review, to find third-party links, more links to this epi- these episodes, and past content. Go to iTunes and SoundCloud to subscribe and never miss an episode on there. Or go to Flipchart, uh, Gibson99, to connect with me there and all the different movies I have watched throughout my life. Shannon, next time on The Movie Lover, I think we might. <gasps> the Incredibles 2 is what we will be reviewing. Thank you very much. I was going to say, I think we might be reviewing The Incredibles 2. <laughs> well, I am very excited about this because speaking about different roles of women being evolved this mm. year, we all know from the trailer that Mrs. Incredible is out to do the work while Mr. Incredible stays home to look after the family. Yes. It's a nice little flip of roles. It is. I have mixed feelings about it. I think partially because I was hoping that we would see, you know, the Incredibles grow up and be a team, too, also. But we'll see what what happens when we see the film. And I think film phase will be focusing on 1997. How fun. Absolutely. That's the year of Titanic. And I don't know what else, but we'll find out in the next episode of The Movie Lovers. In the meantime, keep loving the movies, and Jeff and Shanna are telling you. Bye-bye. My number eight is The Blues Brothers. Is that yours? Blues Brothers 2000? Yeah. Oh, God, no. Oh, Go okay. right ahead and talk about anyway. why you like that. <laughs> so I feel like this is the like real... Wait a second, have I got the right film? I don't know. What is are you this doing? not on your list no, at all? No. Why? Tell me what you think this is. It's got Carrie Fisher. It's 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 the orphanage. Is that what this is? This isn't what it is, is it? The orphanage. Keep talking, man. Let me pause you. <laughs>